It's time for the Fantasy Points Podcast, brought to you by FantasyPoints.com. Top-level fantasy football and NFL betting analysis from every perspective and angle, from numbers to the film room, with a single goal to help you score more fantasy points. Hey guys, and welcome to the week four edition of the Fantasy Points XFL Breakdown. I'm your host, Jake Tribby. I've got Chris Wecht here by my side to help us break down every angle of the week four XFL slate. Chris, how are you doing today? And how did your DFS lineups fare in week three? It was pretty good. I'm excited. Uh, another week of XFL DFS. Um, the last week did not go super great. Uh, the chalk kind of, you know, picked the wrong chalk players. Felt pretty good after that uh, Seattle Vegas game on the first night and then stuff didn't, you know, the rest of the games did not quite go how we, how I thought they would go, but that's, that's the XFL for you. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, exactly. I had a, I had a pretty solid week. I, I made a little bit. I ended up winning a, a ticket to the, the three, three, three contest this week, which I'm pretty excited about. If uh, TJ Vasher had caught his final two targets, I would have, would have banked for 50 K, but I'm trying not to try not to think about that too much. <laughs> I was really, really proud of our, our Brian Hill call last week. I thought his, his ownership was just ridiculous. So there's plenty to, to hang our, uh, hang our hats on after last week, but um, I think people want to hear about the games this week. So diving right into things, we've got the Houston Roughnecks at the Orlando Guardians. This is our first game Saturday at 7 p.m. The total here is 38 and a half. The spread is Houston minus nine and a half. You can still find Houston minus nine at a lot of spots. Um, Injuries uh, from the Houston side, pretty clean. Max Borgi was limited in practice early in the week, but practiced in full on Thursday. Should be good to go. Cody Latimer, though, on Orlando was a late addition to the injury report. Um, Didn't participate in Thursday's practice. They're listing him as probable with a knee issue. I was kind of speculating that maybe this could be a veteran rest day for Latimer, considering he's, um, I think, has more than twice as many targets as the next closest player. He's kind of their entire offense right now. So, you know, maybe they just wanted to give him a break, but it's certainly a little concerning and definitely something to monitor. I think we docked him a, a little bit in our, in our projections because of the the concern we have, but I do, I do expect to play. Yeah. It's a good thing. This is the first game because late injuries like that, it's best if you can find out before you have to make the rest of your lineup decisions and just, yeah, so we'll we'll update projections and whatnot as it gets closer. If he's good to go, if he's active, I'm probably not worrying about it at all and just assuming that he's in good health. Um, and if he's out, then you're going to see a bump for guys like Lance Lenore and Eli Rogers for sure. Yeah, absolutely. And it's, it's kind of tough because, I mean, there are a few viable options in that 5K range, but it's, you know, it's fairly thin overall. So if Latimer was ruled out, you'd, you'd certainly want to make some adjustments there. Um, in terms of bets for this game, uh, I got Houston minus seven and a half. I, I tweeted it out on, on Monday. Um, honestly, I still like, if you can find Houston minus nine, I, I still like that. Uh, Chris, do you have any opinions on, um, on bets for this? Yeah, I didn't get the seven and a half, but I did get the eight and a half. I don't, yeah, I don't know how, when we were projecting this game, I was like, I cannot get Orlando within double digits of a spread that makes, that feels like it makes sense. And surprising, I mean, you know, we're only three weeks in, so we don't have a ton of information. Maybe Houston's defense just looks really legit. And I think Orlando is the worst offense in the league. So it just does not feel like a game where 
they're going to be within one score per, with XFL rules and three-point conversions and stuff. Absolutely, yeah. I mean, I, I tweeted it out. Houston has the best defense by points allowed, the best offense by points scored. Orlando has the worst defense by points allowed and the worst offense by points scored. Um, it really feels like, yeah, the spread should be at least Houston minus 10. Um, so we are we are certainly backing the, the Houston side of things here. Um, diving into the, the Houston passing attack, I mean, you know, kind of the same, same story as always. It's, it's a prolific attack. Brandon Silvers looked awesome last week, especially in the first half. He had, uh, he had 225 passing yards and three touchdowns in the first half of last week's game. Second half, they, they were much slower, didn't really do a ton offensively. Um, I don't think he's going to catch nearly as much ownership as some of these other quarterbacks because, you know, he doesn't project quite as well, given that we have to give Cole McDonald some rush attempts. You know, he can certainly uh, vulture some, some touchdowns. And uh, when it comes to the, you know, the wide receivers, the guys you're, you're stacking silvers with, it pr- seems pretty straightforward, you know, Burnett and Kirkland on the, on the high end. And then you got guys like uh, Travell Harris, who's a great salary saving option. And then, you know, maybe you could dip your toes into People like Cedric Bird or even even Justin Smith. I'm curious, um, yeah, how you're going to play this Houston passing attack? Yes, yeah, we talked a lot about Silvers yesterday, and uh, it really is a shame his his upside is just capped because of McDonald being there, and it makes him. I mean, with the ownership leverage you're going to get playing him, he's. I think he's a fine play, um, but he he's a type of quarterback that you know if he ever does get to a point where he's more popular i'm probably out on him but this does not look like it's going to be one of those weeks so i think he's a fine play but his ceiling is definitely not as high as some of the other quarterback options um the receivers you pretty much covered kirkland and burnett i am pretty interested in travel harris this week uh so he missed week two comes back or next week in week three and runs 50 percent of the routes Nick Holly's routes were basically cut in half who he, who took his place in week two when he was out. So I do wonder if uh, we could see Harris's role continue to get better here in week four and be a nice way to get different with the Houston offense. Yeah. He was listed as a starter again on the depth chart, which I think is a great sign for a expanded role. I mean, I believe he had an 85% route share in week one. So, you know, he could definitely, Head back towards that. I I did kind of write up Justin Smith as like the galaxy brain min priced wide receiver play of the week. I mean, he's only getting, you know, eight, nine, 10 routes per game, but his ADOT's 29 and he's 3000. So, you know, he catches one deep ball, um, you know, he he'll pay off value. Um, I think that's sort of a, you know, a, like I said, it's, it's really thin. I'm only going to use them in the, in the $15 on some silver stacks, but um yeah, it's, it's a little interesting there, but Travell Harris is certainly the, the preferred option. Um, dipping into the, the Houston running back situation, I mean, I, I actually think we have two guys here who are, who are very in play. Uh, Max Borgie, I mean, you know, we all, we all know and love him as the, the CMC of the, the XFL. He's absolutely smashing in terms of weighted opportunities, getting, um, you know, he's right there with Davion Smith as having the most consistent workload in the XFL, at least 11.2 weighted opportunity points every week thus far. Um, and then we also have Bryson Aline, uh, the backup running back. This dude's 5'6", 165. But I mean, man, last week he he's very clearly the the quickest, fastest guy on the field and came pretty close to actually breaking off some some huge plays. He's only 3,400, I believe. Um, I kind of like both guys. I don't think anyone's going to play Aline. Um, 
so yeah, getting him at 5% and, and Borgie is a little overpriced relative to how he's being projected across the industry. So, you know, I think he could clock in at sub 20% too. I, I, I kind of regard both these running backs as pretty strong plays in tournaments. Yeah. I think they're both good plays. Borgie is the, is the workhorse. He's more expensive, but he's not going to be super popular in a game. We expect them to get up in and, while we think they're going to be passing and passing and passing, but you know, maybe they don't, maybe they run the ball in the second half because they're up by 24 at halftime or something. Yeah. I mean, I don't know. Um, and yeah, no one's going to play a lean with Dejuan Lee was inactive last week. And as far as we know, that is, that was solely just not an injury. He was just inactive. Yep. So a lean is, becomes a very solid play at, if you need the money in a game where they should be double digit favorites. So both guys are very attractive to play and good good ways to get different instead of playing Kirkland or Burnett if you're not doing uh, like a silver stack. Yeah, and with with Aline, you just want to make sure that Lee is again inactive. Yes. If Lee plays, I would not I would not touch Aline. Um, but yeah, Houston Houston feels pretty straightforward this week. I did want to quickly mention the Houston defense because they're going to be outrageously popular. I mean, probably thirty five or forty percent owned, but I mean it's for it's for good reason. They scored 19 DraftKings points when these teams played in week one. They didn't even score a defensive touchdown. They had seven sacks, I think three interceptions and a fumble recovery. I mean, just like absurd stuff. And, you know, like I said, in terms of like a points for points against matchup, this is as big of a mismatch as, as, uh, as you're going to see. Um, I think like in the $15 and stuff, you can absolutely get away from the Houston defense. Um, you know, it makes a lot of sense to sort of fade a, a 40% on defense and single entry. It's, it's a little tougher to get off of them. Um, I'm curious if you have any, any thoughts on this, the super popular defense, probably the most popular that we've seen all season. Yeah. Anything large field, you know, 2000 plus entry type stuff. I'm probably just not going to play them. It's just, you, that's they can absolutely score 19 or even 20 this week, but there's just so many other ways that like, we haven't seen a punt return touchdown or something yet this year, like that could happen for another defense and suddenly they're matching them or beating them at a third of the ownership. It's, but in super small field, it's fine. But even, even then, like you, if you, if you like, you could just not play the Houston defense and play, I don't know, like Seattle stacks and be different solely because of that. So, yeah, yeah, ab- absolutely. I'm, I'm right there with you. I think um, if I am pivoting off of Houston, my, my favorite way to do it is with St. Louis. Um, they're, they're very reasonably priced and I just, I'm way down on, on Arlington, but I mean, there's, there's tons of viable options that a defense really only need, you know, defensive touchdowns are incredibly random. So that's, that's pretty much all you need to get there. Um, moving on to the Orlando side of things. This feels like the first week where we've been pretty comfortable uh, projecting Paxton Lynch with the full, you know, pass game workload for, for the most part. I think we gave Deandre Francois and Quentin flowers, uh, you know, very small projections, but um, yeah, it looks like Paxton Lynch is, is the guy. Uh, they did sign Quentin Flowers. Quentin Flowers, uh, you know, great rusher. He's pretty comparable to a guy like Derek King. Excellent rusher, not a fantastic passer. They will probably have some, you know, a package of rushing plays for him, but I really wouldn't expect him to eat in to uh, Lynch's workload too much. Um, I'm not really considering Lynch in play for the four-game slate just because of how bad this offense has looked, but I do think he's interesting for the Saturday-only slate. And certainly interesting for showdown. So not sure if you have any uh, opinions on Lynch specifically here. Yeah, Lynch is 
Yeah, don't play him on the four game slate. There's really no reason to. You can play yeah. better quarterbacks for the same amount of leverage. Uh, and yeah, sure for the Saturday slate because I mean, like we said, they should be they should be behind. They should be throwing a lot, and you know maybe he catches lightning in a bottle. Yeah, and I mean he he runs. He has the rushing upside, and I mean just looking at like two game slate ownership these last few weeks, the guys who have a little more uncertainty in their QB situations are just going way under owned i think especially for you know two game slates like you just there are not many options there and it's certainly possible that that pax and lynch could provide a little more value than guys like silvers or or Danucci on the saturday only slate so i do think he's a little interesting there um the orlando rushing attack i'm really just not excited about at all um the team let uh kelvin taylor go um i forget who they signed Diedrich. uh yes or Dedrick Thomas is one of the wide receivers. Yes, but isn't it? Uh, He's also a backup running back. Um, the Devin Darrington. That's what it is. Devin Darrington. Yeah. That's who it is. So we we're projecting Devin Darrington to fill in that that Kelvin Taylor role. Um, I mean, it was a pretty even split last week in terms of weighted opportunity. Um, yeah, Jamain Martin five point seven weighted opportunity points. Kelvin Taylor four point nine. I mean, and almost dead even in snaps. It's yeah, it's it's, it's really gross. Yeah, yeah, I just I don't think you're you're playing these guys. I mean, you can certainly consider it for a two game slate, and you know, absolutely for for showdown. I think you know both are both are interesting, but um, yeah, I'm 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 absolutely off this this backfield for the four game slate. Um, the pass game options though are, you know, we have three guys that actually project as pretty strong values for Orlando in Cody Latimer. I mean, the offense kind of starts and ends with him, especially in the red zone. Uh, you know, it's hard to project him for anything less than like a 30% receiving touchdown share. He's just, he's just the guy for them. Uh, obviously we did mention that he is listed as probable with the knee issue. And then we have Lance Lenore and Eli Rogers who Eli Rogers, I believe is 31 or 3,200 Lance Lenore is the minimum price. Um, both of those guys project as, as pretty solid plays as well. My favorite personally is, is Lenore. I, I'm, I'm going to definitely play some Latimer and I'll have a little bit of Rogers too, but I really like Lenore just given that, you know, he led the USFL in basically every receiving stat he's been with the team for, I don't even think, you know, two weeks at this point. And he's already, you know, right there with Rogers in terms of leading the, you know, wide receiver group in, in routes. And he's listed as a starter. Um, you know, he could very easily emerge as their top pass catcher behind Latimer. And I, you know, that's kind of how we're projecting it this week. Yep. His, his route share has been increasing the past two weeks and guys like Charleston Rambo probably, we would kind of hope start to lose some routes as he's just mm -hmm. been so unproductive. Yeah. Um, and like we talked about earlier, the Lattimore injury is going to massively change um, if he's out. If he if he's in, we're 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 only slightly bumping him down right now. But so if he's in, he'll get a slight bump back up. But if he's out, it'll really shift things up and make guys like Lenore and Rogers huge values and uh, like pretty will be pretty hard to get away from a guy like Lance Lenore at three thousand um, dollars with with the injury there. Yeah. Yeah. Especially in, you know, negative game script, given the, given the talent and stuff. I mean, I, I really don't think either of Lenore or Rogers will catch much ownership. If Latimer plays, um, if Latimer sits, both guys should be pretty popular, but all our viable plays, all, all of exposure to, um, to all those guys um, beyond that. I really don't think I have much to add here um, for the o Orlando offense. I think we covered everything. 
Yep. Um, so moving on to the uh, second game on Saturday, this is a late kick, a Saturday 10 p.m. kickoff. San Antonio Brahmas at the Seattle Sea Dragons. Total here is 41. Seattle is favored by four points. Um, the injuries here are a little interesting. Morgan Ellison is listed as questionable after back-to-back limited practices, but he tweeted that he's playing. So he's going to play. Um, and I'm super excited to, to talk to him, to talk about him. We will get to him in a second. Um, on the San Antonio side, TJ Vasher is out. He's dealing with a shoulder issue. Uh, Jalen Tolliver listed as probable. Vasher basically filled the Tolliver role last week. Uh, Tolliver only played four snaps. I, I get that that was a, a very frustrating zero. Um, for a lot of us, considering he was, you know, he's pretty underowned. I thought he was a, a decent tournament play last week after he was ruled active. Um, but he's definitely going to play this week and he should be a full-time player um, once again. So um, another important thing to make note of, but yeah, starting with the the San Antonio passing game, I, you know, I, I wrote up cone. I, I, I touted cone a little bit last week as a, as a solid play. I mean, 65 passing yards, absolutely brutal at the same time. I'm not like ready to write him off or anything because, you know, the Houston defense is really good. And in the first two weeks, uh, you know, Cone himself looks looks pretty solid. Um, so I, you know, I think he'll be, you know, four, five, six percent probably in in large field stuff this week. And honestly, I, I kind of like it. I'm I'm ready to go back to the well on on Jack Cone. Maybe you can talk me off him. No, I'm glad you said that because I was <laughs> like, I thought I was going to have to come on here and be like, I'm falling for the Jack Cone thing again. <laughs> yeah, he he looked good in the first two weeks. I mean, and then yeah, yeah obviously he looked terrible last week, but. Mm-hmm. we think this Houston defense is pretty legit. So I'm not going to, I'm not going to write him off yet just because of the one game. Yeah. The, the big concern for him right now is that the, the Brahmas are running the ball at the league's second lowest rate. And even last week, I mean, they were losing, you know, 22 to seven in the first half. They ended that game with a 43% pass rate. I mean, it's just, it, you know, really not great there. Um, at the same time, though, you know, I think we've seen the explosiveness in Seattle's offense. So there, there is a decent chance that, you know, maybe uh, getting down to Seattle could light a, a, a better fire under the San Antonio offense, force them to pass a little mm-hmm. more. But that that is the risk there. And that's why, you know, Cone won't be won't be very popular at all. Um, you know, running back for um, San Antonio is pretty gross but at the same time i mean i i do think you can absolutely get away with playing a guy like kalen balage um you know 13.4 weighted opportunity points in week three um that was fifth among all running backs 57 percent of snaps 60 percent of routes so you know the underlying metrics are, are pretty good the problem is that he's just he's not efficient at all and uh you know he's splitting red zone touches with um uh jock patrick uh so yeah, it's I mean, it's a pretty gross situation, but I do think Bellage is live in the in the larger field stuff um, as a running back play. I'm not sure if you have a, a take here. Yeah, I think he's fine. Um, personally, I'm I'm already kind of like playing the San Antonio passing attack is already going to be a little unique. And if yeah. I'm I'd rather personally, I'd rather go that way. But I think you can play Bellage if you're if you do want some action on the San Antonio side, but don't want to play like Cone or anybody like that. Yeah, for sure. I'm I'm with you there. And then with the wide receivers, I mean, I already mentioned Tolliver as a pretty solid play. Um, I'm certainly intrigued by um, Fred Brown. Um, he actually saw like a pretty solid role 
um, in week three. Um, but I don't know. I'm still, I'm still kind of on the fence about how I want to stack cone. Like what I think the best way is. I don't think any of these San Antonio pass catchers will be super popular outside of maybe Alizé Mack, um, who projects as a pretty strong value, I think across the board, um, in the industry. I'm, I'm curious how, how you think your, your cone lineups are going to look with, uh, with pass catchers. Yeah. The Vasher injury and him being out is going to create an opportunity here and, I don't think anybody in the industry really has a good feel about who for sure that will be, which means there's going to be opportunity for you to get big leverage by just kind of mixing and matching some different guys. I think Mac, Fred Brown, Tolliver are Mac and Tolliver are probably my two favorites. And then Fred Brown. And then maybe you tried to Reese Robinson again. I know he burned everybody last week, but they're going to need somebody to uh to run to to throw the ball to because Vasher was running some of the I think the most routes on the team for the past three weeks all together. Yeah. So. Yeah. He, you know, he looked to be their their main guy last week. I mean, they really couldn't do much passing the ball, but when they when they were throwing, it was it was mostly going to him. Um so yeah, I mean I think if I end up with like, you know, five or six cone lineups, I, I'm really just gonna mix and match here. Um probably don't need to do many double stacks no. at all. Um, just because of the the passing volume concerns, you're kind of just hoping that you hit on the the right pairing there. Um, so, but yeah, I mean, I like it. I like it for tournaments. I think it's it's going to be pretty unique because there are just you know objectively better options at, at quarterback this week. Um, and one of those options is Ben DiNucci for Seattle. I mean, you know, he's been I think our top quarterback play all three weeks that we've been doing the projections, at least in terms of you know, raw projection, maybe not necessarily value. I mean, he's still not priced up to the point where, um, you know, he's, he's a bad value by any means they're throwing, you know, about 70% of the time he's, he's looked good uh, throwing the ball looked, I mean, 377 yards. And I think four touchdowns last week was just, just an awesome performance. Um, and yeah, he's, you know, he's running well. So Ben DiNucci, I think is pretty clearly the top overall quarterback play of the slate. The problem is that ownership is going to reflect that. I mean, he'll be, 30% owned, I would assume. Um, so yeah, not sure if you have a, a Danucci take. Yeah, he's gonna be popular and for good reason. They pass so much. It's gonna be tough to totally fade him. You're just you're gonna have to get creative elsewhere, which is not impossible to do. Like, I mean, if you just do a uh Danucci double stack and play any San Antonio receiver, they're not gonna be very popular. Um yeah. So th- that's probably how you want to play it. I really like doing stuff like Danucci Ellison plus a receiver to be different. Um, just just don't roll out the Danucci Josh Gordon um, Pearson uh, Pearson stack. stack. Or even yeah. yeah, even if it's I mean, look, Gordon might not be super popular because he's expensive, but like the Pearson Blake Jackson might be the one that's the most popular. Yeah, v- Jordan VC is the guy that I'd want to work in the most, I yeah. think, to keep those lineups unique. But I really like your your note on just, I mean, you can you can double stack and use, you know, Gordon Pearson, Blake Jackson, but just run it back with a uh, with a San Antonio player because um, they're they're just not going to be very popular across the board. So that's a pretty solid way to uh, keep things unique here. I guess Jawan Green would also be a little bit in play for um, Seattle as a as a you know super low owned Danucci pairing, but the guy that I'm really excited about on the Seattle side is, is Morgan Ellison. I mean, last week he had the first hundred yard rushing game in in XFL history. He looked 
I mean, he just looked so good as a runner. Um, I think I noted during the uh, week three preview show that, uh, you know, Cody Main from Establish the Run tweeted out prior to week three that Seattle was throwing the ball 90% of the time inside the 10 yard line. Well, Morgan Ellison was averaging seven and a half yards per carry before his injury. He ripped off a ton of big runs. And there was one drive in particular where they get inside the 10 and they give him two carries in a row, which I thought was pretty, um, you know, pretty telling as to how they feel about, about Morgan Ellison. Um, he did unfortunately end up getting hurt on that second carry, but you know, he tweeted, he's going to play this week. So he's good to go. I mean, I, I love this guy as a player. I think he's pretty easily the most talented running back in the XFL. I, I honestly think he belongs on an NFL roster. I was thinking about this last night. I mean, would you rather have Morgan Ellison, if you're an NFL GM making 800 K per year or Ezekiel Elliott making $15 million <laughs> per year? That's mean. Yeah, it is pretty mean, but I'd much rather have Morgan Ellison. Um, yeah, no, yeah. You're not wrong. So, yeah, he's, uh, you know, he's priced up. He's not the elite value that he was last week. He's, he's 6,900. Um, and yeah, you know, the backfield pie here isn't huge. Uh, Seattle is one of the least valuable backfields in the XFL measured by weighted opportunity. So, you know, even if he plays 80% of snaps, there's certainly still a risk that he doesn't, you know, absolutely smash just because this backfield doesn't have great touchdown equity. But again, I think they trust him so much that the backfield probably has better touchdown equity than, you know, previous week stats are, are giving it credit for. Yeah. And you're just betting on them being a good offense, which I think we can rely on them to at least move the ball and, you know, see what they can do in that, in the red zone. So yep, I, I think he's an awesome play, especially if he comes in not nearly as popular as some of these other running backs. Yeah. And I don't, I don't think he will. I mean, I think people are really like, especially in XFL, just given that there's, you know, sort of an information void, uh, people are really scared of questionable tags, like when they're clicking names on, on DraftKings. And, you know, you don't really see that in a sport like, like NFL, where we all know we're getting, you know, the exact news that we need at, at 1130 before, before kickoff. Um, mm -hmm. So yeah, I think, I think Ellison will go way under owned because he's listed as questionable. And that just makes me want to play him way more. And if somehow, I mean, I don't think it's going to happen, but if somehow he's ruled out, I mean, the pivot is so easy. You just play Brian Hill in the next game. He's $300 less. Um, so I'm, I'm more than fine, you know, putting Ellison on all my, you know, all the rosters that I submitted at initial lock, I think, you know, perfectly fine. And, you know, he's, he's an interesting way to gain some leverage off of those Seattle pass catchers, because maybe, you know, Seattle scores four touchdowns and, you know, He's two of them. And in that case, um, you know, he's probably going to be uh, a better play than, than some of these Seattle wide receivers. So, yep, I think I think we both really like Ellison. Um, I don't think we didn't talk about any bets for this game. Um, honestly, I, I don't really have anything here. I think the spread and total are pretty, pretty on point. So I'm not sure if you wanted to, to add anything, but I, I don't have an angle. Yeah, nothing. I think San Antonio maybe is being a little bit underrated if you wanted to take the points with them, but I, I think it's pretty, I think it's pretty on spot. Sweet. All right. Moving on to our first game on Sunday. This is a Sunday 4 p.m. kickoff. We've got the Arlington Renegades at the St. Louis Battlehawks. This is the Battlehawks' first game of the season uh, at home. They've sold over 30,000 tickets for this game. I mean, St. Louis just desperately wants a professional football team. Um, you know, these fans are, I'm assuming, still pretty salty about the Rams leaving. So they're going to show out for the Battlehawks. And yeah, St. Louis is probably the only team that will have a crowd that actually rivals the the DC atmosphere. Um, so they they do have a, a decent home field advantage, I believe. 
Uh, total here is 36 and a half. St. Louis favored by four points. Um, injuries. Marcel Aitman was placed on IR. So that certainly opens things up a bit uh, on the St. Louis side of things. I know we'll talk about the implications here in a minute. Um, Hakeem Butler, Stephen Mitchell, and Brian Hill were all limited in practice this week. All should play. Uh, Stephen Mitchell is one of the ancillary wide receivers for St. Louis. He's really only notable for for showdown purposes. Um, Chris, do you like any bets here? I kind of like, I haven't bet it personally, but I kind of like St. Louis minus four. I mean, I think you could argue St. Louis should be as much as a, you know, five or six point favorite here. Um, I just, I kind of think Arlington's a disaster. Yeah. I don't have a strong lean either way, but if I had to pick a side, it would be the St. Louis side. Awesome. Um, all right. So getting into the Arlington side of things, I mean, you know, we know Kyle Sloter is is going to be the quarterback here, um, kind of similar to San Antonio. Um, you know, the it, the real issue here is just just passing volume. Arlington really likes to run the ball. Um, I'm man, I'm, I'm having a tough time finding any, you know, Arlington passing stacks or, or pass catchers, uh, you know, a appealing at all you know Tyler Vaughn's is projecting as a decent value for us you know Sal Canella we can obviously project for a pretty solid target share but you know he's expensive and and he'll definitely carry ownership um you know if I'm if I'm paying down a quarterback and I want you know a low-owned guy I I much prefer Jack Cohn but I I might trot out some Sloter lineups just to you know try to be a little different I, I I don't know do you have a strong take here yeah, I don't hate the slower play, especially after last week. Everyone, you know, everyone was dying to play him and, yeah. you know, he didn't perform, but now he's not going to be nearly as popular. So now he's probably a decent play. Um, I'm not super excited about it. The, the the receiving room is really the issue. They just, I, we cannot seem to get a, a bead on what they want to do with these receivers. It's like every week they're, so one guy is playing half, double the amount of routes he played the week before and another guy's cut in half. I mean, uh, the yeah, Lujuan Winningham only ran like 30% of the routes last week. Where and then Brandon Arcanado was back up to 75 after being there in week one. They they worked in Caleb Vanderesh this past week. It's just it's just really hard to know. Other than Sal Canella, it's just really hard to get a feel for what what they want to do with their receiving room. Yeah, I mean we have we have Tyler Vaughn's projecting as a pretty solid value. I I think he's you know pretty safely their their top receiver you know after after canella at least um but yeah i mean it, it feels really thin i think if i'm if i'm playing slower lineups i'm probably only pairing him with vaughn's and canella um i yeah i i don't really know if i have much more to add there um it's just it's kind of a kind of a gross situation where you're you know you're kind of just playing ownership there so even even Vaughn's routes have been decreasing over since week one. I mean, ninety six percent in week one, eighty nine in week two, and then sixty nine the past week. So yeah, he's probably their leading receiver, but it does seem like they're trying to figure out what their best starting trio is, and they don't seem to have figured that out yet. Yeah, yeah, not great. They they have figured out though that they they certainly love to to run the ball, and that really starts and ends with them um, with with Davion Smith. Um, you know, he's basically the only guy other than Max Borgie who has had at least double digit weighted opportunity points every week so far. I mean, since the team cut Keith Ford, um, you know, he has the red zone work all to himself. We expect Kenneth Farrow to rotate in a little bit. He joined the team uh, last week and 
and played a played a decent bit. I mean, part of that was because Davion Smith was injured. Um, I mean, really, the thing that I'm excited about with Davion Smith, not that I think Arlington's going to score a ton of points, but it's just I mean, it's just the red zone role. Keith Ford had two red zone carries. Davion Smith is tied for the league lead in five. If Keith Ford was never on the team, I mean, Davion Smith would be the clear XFL leader in in red zone touches or I, I may be referencing inside the 10 touches. But um, yeah, either way. Uh, Davion Smith, you know, the, the red zone role is, is truly elite. He's a lock for, you know, 100% of backfield red zone touches. So, um, you know, he's got really good TD equity. The problem is he's probably not going to be very efficient, um, but, you know, he's going to get 15 to 20 carries. So I, I like him as a play. I, I, I don't love him. You know, I think I think ownership will probably be around 25 or 30% there, which which to me seems about right. So I won't be taking a huge stand there, but I definitely want him in, in a few lineups. Yeah, he's fine to me. Don't don't love him, but you know he's good enough. It, I do like like I'd rather play Brian Hill and who we'll talk about next, and Ellison, who we already talked about. Um, if I'm you know some of these more popular running backs, you you it's just an easy fade bet in a lot of ways because you're just betting on Arlington offense being bad, which we think they are anyway. But he does you know he is getting a lot of work, which is just rare in the XFL. So. I, I, I think that you can make arguments and I would just build your lineups accordingly based off of if you want to use them or not. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. I mean, I think, you know, it's um, you're really just banking on touchdowns with Davion Smith. Mm-hmm. Like I, I don't think he's going to get there on, on yardage and, and receptions. Um, but, you know, I'm, I'm more than fine with it. Arlington, you know, they'll, they'll probably score a couple touchdowns. So, um, and we know yeah. like, I mean, inside the 10, like just rewatching their game last week, they were, I mean, it's just jumbo, like handoff to Davion Smith every time. Like they do not want to throw the closer they get to the end zone. So yeah, I mean, I really can't uh, undersell like just how good his TD, TD equity is. Um, moving on to the St. Louis side of things. I mean, a lot more interesting conversation to be had. Here, obviously, you know, we have AJ McCarron. He's been playing really well. Um, you know, he's he's expensive. He doesn't project as like a great value for us by any means. Um, you know, pay a hundred dollars more and get Ben DiNucci. I think a lot of people are would rather go that route. At the same time, that should keep McCarron's ownership, you know, around 10-15%. Um, and yeah, I mean, I I like him for tournaments. I I don't know if I have I have much more to say than that. He's you know, he's he's pretty good. The St. Louis offense has looked pretty good and you know i don't think um you know i think he, he may go a little under own this week so yeah what's what's your take on mccarran yeah it feels like we say the same thing every week about mccarran he <laughs> yeah. you know he's fine he's expensive he's not going to be super popular so you know it makes him a good play and i think that's true again here um arlington is not very good on defense either as well as offense so <laughs> i don't i think mccarran's a totally good play at quarterback and now with eightman out you have a little bit more condensed receiver room so he's a little bit easier to stack with and whatnot as well yeah absolutely stacking mccarran is is pretty straightforward we have hakeem butler projected as the top option by raw projection austin prohl as the top option by value i think most people will go that direction hakeem butler should be extremely popular i mean the guy just looks like he doesn't belong on an xfl field he's just so much bigger and faster than everyone else that it's it's kind of absurd i mean i I really feel like he's deserving of another NFL opportunity. It's it's pretty surprising to me that he he flamed out in the regard that he did. But I mean, you know, he's an he's an awesome XFL player. He's their red zone guy. You know, he's their Cody Latimer. Uh, they they love throwing jump balls to him because he's 
he's so much bigger than the guys guarding him. Um, and yeah, Austin Pearl, really just the value in the slot. But the guy that I'm really excited about is Darius Shepard. Shepard projects as the worst value of the three. Um, but, you know, him and Aitman play, you know, kind of a similar role. Uh, they both play about 80% uh, of their routes on the outside. And in the first two weeks, you know, with Aitman mostly healthy, Shepard really didn't do much of anything. Um, but in week three, he had eight targets, 42 air yards, which is actually more than he had in weeks one and two combined. Um, so his role definitely is expanded with Aitman out. And I think he's going to go way under owned compared to Prohl and Butler because he just doesn't project as uh, as a strong of a value industry wide. Yeah, he's he is the leverage play on the St. Louis side and probably one of the better leverage plays on the on the slate as a whole just because of the opportunity and and between like Butler's. I mean, do you think Butler rivals like the Pearson ownership and whatnot? Like, is he the most popular receiver this week? I I think he'll go he'll go under Pearson. I mean, Pearson's I don't know. Pearson's a tough guy to fade. I, at the same, I mean, Butler is two thousand cheaper. I don't know. I I think I think Pearson will be the most popular receiver, and then Butler will be probably second or third, right there with a guy like John Trey Kirkland. Maybe you know Blake Jackson will probably be up there too. Yeah. Um, so so in terms of like clear pivots, there all of those other guys that you mentioned don't have uh, a guy like Darius Shepard at three at three to five percent ownership that yeah. uh, you can just easily pivot to. Yeah, I mean, honestly, like one of the easiest ways to keep your McCarran stacks unique, I, I think I'll mostly be doubling McCarran. I'll have some single stacks in there, but I mean, you can just play Butler plus Shepard or Prol plus Shepard, and then I mean, you're you're totally fine there in terms of in terms of ownership and you know stack uniqueness and and all that. So I I, I think we both really like Shepard as a as a pivot this week, and uh, yeah, you know, pretty strong play. Stephen Mitchell projects okay for us. I wouldn't go that far. Um, but he's, you know, he's certainly viable for like a, you know, two game slate, um, showdown slate type stuff. Um, the really, the really interesting conversation I think is on running back here because we have Brian Hill is clearly the best running back play of the slate in our projections. I wrote him up and in the, in the TLDR, you know, I have tier one and tier two, uh, Brian Hill was my only running back in, in tier one this week. Um, my, the best stat that I pulled you know, during my, my research uh, this week was that Brian Hills played one and a half games. He played the first and fourth quarter in week one. He played all of week three, and yet he has 60% of backfield weighted opportunity. I mean, he's missed a game and a half, and he's had 60% of, of backfield usage. Just absolutely insane. 77% snap share last week, uh, 60% route share, had multiple red zone targets. He was one yard away from falling into the end zone again. And he would have had, I think, 24 DraftKings points. I mean, he was pretty easily our, our best call last week. And man, I, I really like him again in a game where, you know, St. Louis should have plenty of positive game script. I, I wrote, you know, I, I obviously I try to cover every angle here. And, it, you know, it's, I suppose, a little concerning that Arlington is only giving up 2.9 yards per carry. Um, but they've played Orlando and Vegas and Orlando and Vegas cannot run the ball. Yeah. So I, you know, I really think that's just kind of a more of a um, who they've played uh, sort of factor there rather than them actually being a, a good run defense. Um, Chris, talk me off of uh, Lockie and Brian Hill. I don't think I'm going to be able to talk you off. Him, but <laughs> he's yeah, he he is the best. I, he's so much better than 
uh, Mateo Durant and Kareem Walker when the guys that were filling in for him and the team seems to know it because they just feed Brian Hill. Um, I think you can use Brian Hill pretty much however you want, whether you're playing McCarron or not, whether you're playing a, another St. Louis receiver or not. He He's going to get the most work of pretty much all the running backs on the slate. I mean, there's it's hard to really argue not playing him. I I really like the idea of doing like a McCarron, Brian Hill, uh, pick one of the wide receivers, and then like a Devion Smith run back as as just saying you, you know we know Arlington loves to feed Devion Smith and they just score some touchdowns and there's a good chance it's going to be him. Um, so you get two of the you know workhorse running backs in the same lineup with a with a good passing option as well for not a ton of ownership. And you know, fill in the rest of your lineup however you want. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Another another thing that I thought was kind of important last week, Mateo Durant. Uh, he was the only other guy working in. I, I, Kareem Walker was active mm-hmm. though, and they just he really didn't play. Mateo Durant fumbled at the goal line, so I think the goal line role is going to be pretty exclusive to to Hill. I mean, I'm not sure what the the coach's thinking is there, but you know, typically when a guy gives the ball up at you know the three yard line, they they do not want to give him the ball again. Um, at least the following week. So hoping for a 100% uh, goal line and red zone role for, for Brian Hill. And I, I think that's pretty likely, but I mean, again, he's pretty easily the best running back play of the slate. And I mean, just based on running back ownership last week and the way guys are, you know, projecting at the position around the industry, I, I actually don't think Brian Hill will be super popular. Um, you know, he'll probably be 30% owned. He might push for 40 if a lot of people watch our show. Um, but even that feels a little too low for me and, uh, I'll probably be way overweight the field. Yep. Um, all righty here. So we are good to go on the last game here. We've got the Vegas Vipers at the DC defenders kickoff is Sunday at 7 PM. The total here is 42 DC is favored by six, uh, injuries. Only real notable one here is that, uh, tight end Ethan Wolf for the defenders who was their, you know, their leading pass catcher at the tight end position is out. He's expected to miss uh, this game and next week that, you know, opens up a little bit of value for some of these uh, backup tight ends. We have uh, Briley Moore McKinney at a 2.3 point projection. And then we also have Trey Berry working in for some routes. I mean, really only relevant for the showdown slate. You're, you're definitely not getting down to these guys on, you know, even the two gamer, I don't think. Um, and then we got a bit of news this morning. Uh, Las Vegas fired their offensive coordinator, which I think we both agreed was pretty strange given that they had their best, you know, offensive outing of the season last week. Uh, you know, I thought, I thought the offense looked pretty good. Hunley was Hunley was cooking. Um, so that's kind of a wild card. We really don't know, um, you know, how that will impact projections or what we can expect from the offense this weekend. And right now we're kind of just leaving things as is, uh, given that it's expected that one of the positional coaches will just take over the offense and that we won't see, you know, like a drastically new playbook or anything like that. Yeah. They're, they're not going to be able to, it's really just the only thing that, that that's really probably going to change is just like the, how often do they run the ball situational football stuff? Like when, when they're choosing to run and pass and stuff like that. And we, and there's just not a great way for us to know that. We'll be on the lookout, though, for I'm sure something will be announced about who's taking over and, and maybe we can do some digging on wh- what that guy has done in his previous coaching career. Um, my guess is eventually they hire somebody from the outside unless like this game, they, you know, 
look awesome on offense or something. But we'll we'll yeah, stay tuned for more info on that. Yeah, definitely a situation to monitor. I mean, we'll be in the fantasy points discord if we find um, you know, anything anything dramatic there that we think is is worth noting. But but as of right now, we're kind of just proceeding proceeding as if this guy never got fired. Um in terms of bets for this game, I grabbed Vegas uh plus six right when uh the line came out you know i i tweeted that i thought it would get out to to vegas plus four and a half and it hasn't hasn't moved at all i still like vegas plus six but i am a little concerned um after they fired the offensive coordinator this this actually might be my first bet all year where i don't get closing line value um so yeah i'm I'm curious if you have any betting angles for this one yeah i also grabbed the plus six and yeah i have the same feelings it doesn't feel good when they fire a coach because we just we just don't know what that means or why or or what what could have possibly happened the to be fair though i mean vegas plus six feels like the right line if luis perez was gonna play every snap with with hunley at quarterback i mean i think internally we had this game much closer to to vegas plus two Mm -hmm. um so and that you know that feels right to me given that i mean hunley looks really good i think he's one pretty clearly one of the best quarterbacks in the league he looks like a fringe nfl guy um so yeah i i i do really like vegas plus six but i you know i think we're both a little uneasy given that we haven't seen any any good line movement and they they let a coach go yeah um all right moving uh to the vegas offense side of things i mean you know Hunley's a really good play. I think that's uh, last week we saw, you know, a really solid ownership discount on him. I thought he was a great play last week. I, you know, I have pretty similar feelings this week. I think Danucci soaks up the vast majority of, of quarterback ownership, or I should probably say the, the vast plurality. Um, so that should open up, you know, Hunley probably around between 15 and 20%, I would guess. And I'm, I'm very willing to play him. I mean, he had around 65 rushing yards last week, looked really good as a passer and, Stacking him is pretty straightforward. You use Jeff Badad and you, you mix in some Geronimo Allison and Martavis Bryant. Um, yeah, what are your thoughts on the on the Vegas passing game? Yeah, they've really jacked up his price. He's ten thousand this week, yeah. um, but that's going to keep his ownership in check, like like you said. And yeah, you play him with Jeff Badet and you kind of figure it out from there. Um, I like him as a play. I he'll probably. Man, I wish they didn't fire their OC. He probably was my favorite QB on the slate for pre-firing, and I don't know. I haven't quite made up my mind yet if, if I'm going to let that really affect what I think about their offense or not. But, yeah, he was my favorite QB of the slate, just given the price and the ownership and projection. And I still – yeah, I don't think we can really kill him for the OC being fired. He runs a lot. They, you know, they should – DC. DC is – quietly putting up a good amount of points in their games despite being a pretty run heavy team. So I expect Hundley to have to do put up points again. Uh, probably won't see what we saw last week. That might not happen again with two teams going over 60 points total. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but yeah, Hundley's a good play, but that is the main stacking partner and they're both not going to be super popular. Yeah, Sinke Sweeting and Matthew Sexton are both like somewhat interesting as mm-hmm. as values. Um, so you know it is it's pretty tough to fit in like Hunley Badet plus Bryant. That that definitely puts a bit of 
a bit of strain on, you know, your salary remaining. So, you know, I think both of those guys you can, you can work in there, but I mean, I, I, I do really like both Martavis Bryant and Geronimo Allison as tournament plays because I mean, they haven't done anything yet, but they're, you know, they're running routes. They have the NFL pedigree. They're obviously talented enough to have a big game. Um, it kind of feels like just a matter of time for both those guys. So I'll certainly be mixing them into my, my Hunley lineups. And I'm kind of with you overall. Like I, I, I don't think Hunley's my favorite quarterback for tournaments. I, I would give a lean to Brandon Silvers there, but I mean, he's still, he's still going to be up there for me. It's, you know, it really is hard to dock him much for the, the OC change, especially just given, you know, how good he looked last week. Um, the rushing attack here. I mean, I, I really don't think we have to spend a whole lot of time on this. Um, it's Deandre Torrey. John Lovett and Rod Smith. And it's, I mean, it's not quite a 33, 33, 33 split, but it's, I mean, it's, it's pretty, it's pretty as close, close as we're going to get. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it is. I mean, it is gross. So, I mean, maybe that's why he got fired. He said no more of the three, three headed <laughs> yeah, backfield. Want, we want a bell cow. <laughs> um, I mean, I guess for showdown, I'd, I'd probably consider John Lovett my favorite i don't know i mean he gets he gets most of the passing work so i'd probably agree with you there yeah and we we you know we do expect him to you know play from behind in this game so i i think that makes sense uh you know he had a, he had the long receiving touchdown last week um so maybe they give him a little more a little more work this week because of it but i mean you know even the two game slate i think you can just get away with fading this backfield yeah. entirely um all right the dc side of things um you know, starts and ends with uh, the quarterback situation. Jordan Tayamu and Derek King, you know, still rotating. We haven't seen Derek King's snaps creep up, kind of like I was I was hoping they would. Um, so we are projecting Tayamu for you know the vast majority of the the passing work and you know even more rushing work than Derek King. I mean, Tayamu is running a ton. He's tied for the league lead in carries inside the ten yard line, right there with uh, with Davion Smith. Um, I don't think. I'm going to play any Tayamu for the four game slate. It still feels thin, especially considering, you know, he's super streaky. So he could come out really cold and we could just see Derek King play an entire half, even three quarters um, of the game. But I, I think for the two game slate and, and obviously showdown Tayamu is super interesting. I mean, last week on the, the three game Sunday slate, Tayamu was like 1% or 2%. I mean, just way under owned. Um, and, you know, maybe you could argue that makes sense, but I, I do think for the two game slate, kind of similar to Paxton Lynch, He'll go under owned. Um, yeah, I'm not. I'm not sure if you have any any strong takes there. No, yeah, I'm probably not playing Tamu. Just I like other QBs better, and yeah, yeah extremely streaky, and yeah. Uh, but I think the real question is: Are you playing Derek King this week again? <laughs> <laughs> I think I'll I'll trot out a I'll trot out a Derek King lineup just in case because I you know, man, I I do think you would just absolutely smash if he if he played enough. Um, and there's always the risk that, yeah, Tayamu just, I mean, sometimes Tayamu looks really good and other times he looks really bad. Um, I would not recommend anyone else plays Derek King, especially on the four game slate showdown though. I mean, you, you could captain Derek King. He's the I best that's... showdown slate every week. Yeah. Yeah. So I, you know, I definitely, I'll have some Derek King exposure and showdown for the four game or I'll, I'll put one lineup out there just in case, but, uh, I want it to be known that I, I don't feel very good about it. Um, the running back situation for DC is pretty interesting in that we have, you know, Abram Smith led all running backs in weighted opportunity last week, 17.9 weighted opportunity points 
second best performance we've seen out of a running back other than Kalen Balazs in week one, at least in terms of, you know, raw usage, uh, 69% of snaps, 56% of routes. Um, and he seems to have, you know, about 70% of the red zone opportunities coming his way. Um, you know, he's expensive. I believe he's at 8,400. Um, I, like Abram Smith, if he's not going to be popular, the problem though is that he's projecting pretty well industry wide, and I'm worried he's going to be one of the highest owned running backs of the slate. Yeah, he's yeah he's he doesn't look great if he's going to be popular. I, he had a he had an 18 percent target share last week, which I don't think is sustainable at all. Yeah, for for the like Reichel Armstead doesn't even have a target the past two weeks, which. They're, they're about the same in their pass catching ability, in my opinion. Yeah. So, like, I don't think that's super sticky. Like, I'd rather just bet on – I mean, they hit a huge offensive explosion game last week, and it would not take much for Abram Smith to not be able to pay that off because of how much he does split with Rykel Armstead. At 10% ownership, yeah, he, he yeah, he's totally a good play at that. But if he's going to be popular, it just does not feel like a great play. It's it's a really tough click if he's going to be popular. I mean, if you told me, you know, Abram Smith is 28% owned and Max Borgi is 17% owned, I mean, I think I, you know, I think we both know yeah, who right. uh, who the better player would be. So, um, you know, I'll, I'll keep an eye out industry-wide and, um, you know, we'll definitely keep the Discord informed if we see any dramatic changes. But I, I do think Abram Smith is a pretty clear fade right now, just given how how popular he, you know, he projects to be, I, I actually wrote up Raquel Armstead in the quick hit section of my tournament place article, basically just saying, look, he, he fumbled twice last week and that, you know, that really hurt his, his overall workload. Cause I mean, how do you give the ball to a guy who, who fumbles twice in the first half? Um, but I mean, he looks pretty good. He's getting, you know, about 25% of the red zone touches. He's playing, you know, a little bit more than 40% of the snaps. So like the underlying usage isn't too bad, especially relative uh, to his price. I think he, like, if I, you know, let's say I'm making 30 lineups for the the $15, uh, you know, the largest tournament um, and I'm not playing Abram Smith. I kind of like having Raquel Armstead on, you know, two, three, maybe four of those teams um, just as leverage because, I mean, I think if we're, you know, just grading the DC guys on how lucky, how likely they are to score a touchdown, it would probably be like Tayamu, Abram Smith, Derek King, and then Armstead, but they're all live. Yeah. Um, Do you think so... Armstead gets some ownership because of, you know, it, like I just, I'm having a hard time seeing why people would be so bought into Abram Smith, but then not also be bought into Armstead for similar reasons, but just obviously at a lower amount, but he's cheaper too. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's that's the thing. I think I don't know. I think if you're paying down at running back, you're probably looking more at, at Bryson Aline. I I'd be really surprised if Armstead, you know, pushed for double digit ownership. That would be pretty shocking. Um five percent. There isn't a lot of great running back value this week. So I do wonder if people want wanting to save do go to him over Aline or vice you know, him and Aline yeah. are, are kind of definitely the two favorites in that range. Yeah, potentially. I mean that yeah that that could that could make some sense i for the most part though we've seen i mean outside of like the really obvious guys we've seen a lot of the the top value options at both receiver and running back go surprisingly underowned so i'm mm -hmm. not i don't know i'm not super concerned about armstead's ownership i think i think people are just really excited to play abram smith 
final note I had on Smith, I mean, his role is not materially different than it was in weeks one and two. Weeks one and two, he averaged 6.2 weighted opportunity points per game. So, like, I mean, there's a there's a real chance of just a straight-up bust performance here. Um, yeah, he, he feels like a pretty easy fade if he's going to be popular. Um, the DC receivers are a little interesting. Um, you know, Josh Hammond is probably too expensive to be considered in play, but bro, both Chris Blair and Lucky Jackson are, um, you know, sub 5k and they, they both project pretty well for us. Lucky Jackson, especially so actually projects as one of our top wide receiver values of the week. I won't be going crazy on any of these guys, uh, especially since, you know, it's not like I'm going to be playing DC stacks, um, on the four game slate, but. You know, I think you can definitely mix in some Lucky Jackson and, and Chris Blair to save a little bit of salary at a wide receiver. Yeah, I really like Lucky Jackson this week. I don't know. I don't think I'll go crazy, but I definitely will get, you know, if he comes in in the 20% range, I feel like I'll definitely be over that. Um, nothing too way over, but I'll, I think, definitely over that. With Ethan Wolf out, I mean, he had like a um, – he had like a – he's had like a 20 14, 13% target share each of the past three weeks. That's a, that's a good chunk of targets that opens up, even if they don't throw a lot. And Lucky Jackson, I mean, he hit his uh, season high 32% this past week. So I think he's a pretty solid, usually I wouldn't be super into a DC piece, but because of the Abram Smith ownership, the Ethan Wolf injury, I think it makes a really nice leverage play uh, in a way to, get some solid value, a good salary saver and leverage at the same time. Yeah. This DC offense feels pretty easy to ignore for fantasy purposes, just given that, you know, we have these juicy like passing games, you know, Houston, Seattle, um, even St. Louis at the same time though. I mean, they have the highest implied team total of the week. Like I, you definitely want some, Mm -hmm. some pieces from this game um, and everyone's going to play Abram Smith. So I mean, yeah, getting getting pretty much anyone else, I think, will be fairly unique. I mean, Lucky Jackson will be decently popular, but you know, I'm I'm more than fine with with his ownership. Um, unless you have anything to add on DC, I'd like to wrap things up with some just some macro slate thoughts for the last last few minutes here. No, I think we're good. Yeah, uh, wanna yeah, Chris Blair is it would be the other option. Just yeah. he's Lucky Jackson with just a slight uh, knock on him, but he's going to be very unowned. So, but he also works. Yeah. So, I mean, I, I think we, we've covered a lot of, you know, the stuff that I, I wanted to mention, um, you know, over the course of our, our discussions here in terms of like overall slate, um, slate wide thoughts when making lineups, I mean, kind of, I think I've mentioned this last few weeks, but like you, I wouldn't use more than two running backs in any, any individual lineup, at least for, you know, any like large tournaments, maybe you could argue it's, you know, it's okay to use three running backs for, uh, super small field stuff, but I mean, these wide receivers are just posting way bigger scores. So, um, and you know, we've seen the field adjust relatively well to that. You know, most people are playing three or four wide receivers in their lineups. Um, at the same time though, I do think there's some really awesome leverage to be had at the running back position. And it really starts and ends with, with Morgan Ellison there. And like I said earlier, I mean, the pivot is so easy if he somehow doesn't play, which he will, um, it's, you know, it's to Brian Hill. So yeah, not sure if you have any, any like overall roster construction thoughts. Um, Cause I think running backs just a really interesting leverage point this week. Yeah, I would agree with that. I, I think we, I think Vegas and kind of the industry as a whole has been underrating how many points can be scored in some of these games. And yeah. we we're slowly seeing the adjustment. I mean, week one, I think pretty much every game was around 36 point 
uh, over under total. And mm-hmm. now this week we've got two games over 40, another one at 38 and a half. I think it's slowly starting to creep up as we see these offenses are able to put up points and, and be more aggressive than um, like what we saw in the USFL. And I feel like we've kind of talked about this every week now, but it does seem like game stacking is something you can do in the XFL. It, it's still, it's still not easy to hit the, you know, get the right pieces because all these offenses are still figuring themselves out in terms of who they want out there the most. But I do think that that is generally something you want to be doing. Yeah. Yeah. I think you want to get pretty aggressive with, with game stacks. I mean, last week we saw, you know, it's a scoring explosion. I think we, you know, we had three different uh, games where there was, you know, pretty, pretty sizable amount of scoring there. Uh, Houston, San Antonio fell off a little bit, but at least their first half was, was pretty explosive. I mean, if you imagine a slate where say the, you know, the Vegas uh, Seattle game from last week happens and all the other games dud, I mean, if all your lineups played four five, even six guys from that game, I mean, you're just going to smash. So, you know, I think you, you can gain a ton of leverage with with game stacks. And I mean, on some of these explosive passing offenses like like Houston and Seattle, I actually think triple stacks are are more than fine, um, you know, given the volume and how spread out, you know, the target shares are, especially with Seattle. Um, so, yeah. Oh, final thing I wanted to mention, um, we have seen a trend of like these these value wide receivers going under owned. And I think it's probably been because there have been so many of them on a weekly basis. Um, There's just always pretty solid value um, at wide receiver under 4k. And I mean, all these guys like Doris Roberson, I thought he was going to be really popular last week. I thought he was going to be 25% owned. He ended up being like 11% in the $15. Um, and he was pretty clearly the best value play of the week, obviously posted a zero. Unfortunately um, for, not, for my lineups was not. Yeah, no, it was not a great value play for, for our lineups, but I mean, just given like his projection relative to what he actually ended up, you know, being owned in the $15, I thought, you know, it was a, a really telling sign that, you know, people are just not really getting to these, these value guys as much as I, I thought they were. So, um, yeah, that's a, that's a decent way to keep your lineup some somewhat unique is just, you know, playing these super cheap pass catchers who project as strong values. Um, and for the most part, you know, I think, I think a lot of them have done, have done all right. Um, excluding, you know, of course, Therese Robertson. So not sure if you have anything to add there. No, I think that's a good point. Salary does seem to be becoming more of a factor as we go along. So yep. you're going to, you're going to naturally start to have to play some of these guys. Whereas in the first two weeks for sure. And, and a little bit last week, you, you can get away with it pretty easily still. Yeah, but I mean, there's still still a pretty decent amount of of options there, so I wouldn't expect you know any one guy to really soak no. up a, a ton of yeah. a ton of ownership at, at least for this week in particular. Um, but yeah, I think that kind of summarizes our our thoughts on the on the slate and um, you know some of these some of these bets. So um, for myself, for Chris, for producer Sean behind the glass, thank you so much for watching the Week Four Fantasy Points. XFL breakdown, and I hope to see you guys at the top of the leaderboard. Thanks for tuning in to this edition of the Fantasy Points Podcast. Remember to subscribe, rate, and review on your favorite platform, and come join the roster at fantasypoints.com.